0: And we move to the New Testament reading, which is in the book of Titus, it's chapter 2, verse 11. We're reading to chapter 3, verse 8. So Titus chapter 2. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. These then are the things you should teach encourage and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient and to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate and always to be gentle towards everyone. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit which he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Thank you, Meredith. Those two passages are written hundreds of years apart, uh, and yet they speak of a similar activity of God, one looking forward to the other. So you might like to keep pages 7 and 8 open in front of you. The outline will be found on page 9. For those writing notes... Both of you. (laughs) Shall I pray? Yes or no? Let's pray. Father, we ask for your transforming power to be at work in us today. We ask for your grace to teach us, to school us, to disciple us. We ask for the power of Jesus, the one who redeemed us, to be at work in us today. We want to hear the voice of Jesus say, Come unto me and rest. We want this, Father, for Christ's sake. Amen. Kylie, in our office here, introduced me this week to the 16th century Japanese art called kintsugi. Stuart? He's a Japanese speaker. Kintsugi. Kintsugi is where the artist takes a bowl that has been broken or smashed and instead of throwing it out, which we do, uh, the artist repairs it. Now, repair itself is not unusual. I mean, we we might repair a bowl from time to time, but in kintsugi, the artist repairs it with gold. Uh, It comes from two Japanese words, kintsugi, golden joinery. Kintsugi, golden joinery. It literally means to join with gold. The bowl is glued together with lacquer, inflicted with a luxuriant gold powder, I'm told. And in this way, the bowl is, if I can put it this way, redeemed. It's redeemed, without pretending that it wasn't first broken. In Kintsugi, Kintsugi, there's no attempt to disguise the damage. Rather, the point is to render the fault lines beautiful and strong. Now, there's nothing specifically Christian about Kintsugi, but there is something very Christian in our text today about how God takes up a smashed up, willful person like me, like Justin Moffat, and he redeems me by his love. God doesn't toss me aside like a broken pot. He has a divine purpose for us, for us as a people we're gonna hear today. What that means is, you are that cup. If you're in Christ, God has put you together with something more precious than gold and then given your life new meaning. The Apostle Peter writes it like this, for you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed to you from your ancestors, but rather with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, so your faith and your hope are in God. Amen. We've been learning in this summer series that God's grace is not a get-out-of-jail-free card, a gift with sort of no strings attached. It is not yes, to be able to do as you please, since God will accept and embrace you no matter what. It's not, as W.H. Auden put on the lips of King Herod in one of his... Uh, uh, works. I like committing crimes. God likes forgiving them. Really, the world is admirably arranged. Grace is not that. And yet, grace is alarmingly beautiful. Your breath should be taken away since God's gift is given without regard to our human criteria of worth, positive or negative. And by the way, that's refreshing given the fact that almost everything you do in life is based on a criteria of worth. That means that you can be slave or free, male or female, adult or child, beautiful or plain, young or old, good or bad, God's gift in Christ is yours by faith. That means you have everything supremely valuable. If "If only I got this, if only I got that, you have everything supremely valuable. You have God through Christ. Can you tell me something more valuable? But we are also learning that the gift is alarmingly transformative. It comes with obligations. Or if I can put it this way, although God's work in Christ is finished on the cross, his work in you isn't finished yet. This is good news. That's why grace teaches us to say no to some things, yes to others, no to worldly passions, doing what you want, and yes to self-controlled lives, lives that are pleasing to God. So, my text today is Titus 2, verse 14. Remember, one verse a week during summer. In Titus 2:14, Paul writes of Jesus, our great God and Saviour. Remember that last week? He writes that he gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness, And to purify for himself a people that are his very own eager to do what is good now that's an important verse for our series and for our whole year focusing and delighting in god's grace look up at that verse for me with will you and notice as i change the color jesus did one thing here what is it he gave himself for us one thing he died and he did it here for two reasons Firstly, to redeem us from all wickedness, that's grace, and secondly, to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Note the two givings there, or two Himself there, I should say. He gave himself to purify for himself. He gave himself to purify for himself a people... He gave his all for us so that we would give our all for him. It's in the song we just sung, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. I hope you notice, by the way, the whole service today is geared towards this news that we hear. The immediate context of the passage is grace, God's gift. Grace appeared, bringing salvation to all people, verse 11. Grace schools us, disciples us, transforms us, so that we say no and yes, verse 12. Grace teaches us this now, in this classroom, not this church, but the present age, the world we live in while we wait, verse 13, for Jesus Christ, verse 14, who gave himself for us, that that he might have for himself a people eager to do good works. Might I suggest a challenge this week, namely that of memorizing Titus 2, 11 to 14 or 11 to 15, there's a challenge for you, got something to do this week, I'm sure you've got plenty, you could squeeze this in, why don't you show me a video, send it to me. But right now I want to focus us on these six words, eager to do what is good. Are you eager for this? Eager means here to desire, to thirst, to be enthusiastic for something, to strongly want to do something. I want more desire, more thirst, more enthusiasm, more zealousness to do the good that God has for me. What would it look like if you were eager for such a thing, thirsty for such a thing? And how can you become more eager, since sort of enthusiasm has a movement forward about it? How can you become more eager in 2022, if I can use the language of our vision and mission, to become a deeper disciple? Could the word eager be your word for 2022? I remember when I was in youth ministry in my late uh, late 20s, early 30s, I used to know all these people in their mid-20s. And they'd say to me, oh, the young people, all the teenagers have more passion for Jesus and more time than I do, and they were sort of jaded 20-somethings. And I remember as they spoke to me, and I was only, what, 10 years old of them, I remember thinking, I don't ever want to meet a 20-year-old who's more passionate about Jesus than I am. I don't want to get to that point in my life, 80, 90, 70, where I meet a 20-year-old and go, oh, well, it's natural that they're enthusiastic and I'm not. I don't want that for myself. So how do you get that? How can you be God's kintsugi, eager to do what is good? So, three questions today, if you're following the outline on page nine. What does it look like, the eagerness? How do you get it? And how do you go deeper into it? What does it look like? How do you, how do you get it eager? And how do you go deeper into it? Firstly, what does it look like? Well, it's not mere passion for passion's sake. It's not mere enthusiasm for enthusiastic, th- enthusiasm's sake. It's not shouting or raising your voice, and it's not merely not giving just more time, not necessarily. I go to my kids' basketball games, soccer games, etc., over the years, and I often sit on the sidelines rating the coaches. I rate the coaches' eagerness, and I rate it by their enthusiasm, sort of general enthusiasm. They're shouting, advising, gathering, inspiring, all that. The eagerness here is not just general jumping up and down sort of general enthusiasm, but rather a directed intentional enthusiasm for a thing. The Christian life isn't a basketball game where you jump up and down from the sidelines, and we're not all coaches, but we are all in the game. Game is the wrong word. We are all in this life. What does eager to do good look like in Titus chapter two? Well, it's about being eager for a character. It's about eager to make the right decisions it's about wanting, thirsty to look like God, Godlike. And what does it look like? It looks like self control in your obedience of Him. I saw a poster this week on Argyle Street. It was being thrown out. I thought that was a pity. It said, the phrase, follow your desires, is the worst thing you can say to some people. <laughs> there goes Hollywood, tossed aside. The phrase, follow your desires, is the worst thing you can say to some people. 100%, right? Follow your dreams to a narcissist, a predator, a dictator. I take it, in fact, it's always bad advice. Because we're meant to follow God, not your dreams, your desires. What does it look like? Well, Paul outlines in Titus 2, 1 through 10, what it looks like. And Rob Forsyth outlined it two weeks ago. I won't repeat his words. Please look it up. And 2, 1 to 10, which is the context, again, not printed, it will mean different things for different people in different cultures and different domestic settings. But they all have at their heart a common theme, which is self-control. Whatever age or stage or domestic arrangement you find yourself in, self-control is the key. For example, Paul says in chapter 2, verse 2, I want the older men, instead of ranting and railing against you know, the world and how it's all changed, they are to be, 2, verse 2, temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, sound in faith, sound in love, sound in endurance, wouldn't that be great? When the older women in uh, Paul's writings attempted to be jaded by life and by other people, they're told not to be slanderers, 2 verse 3, or addicted to much wine there are some cultural things going on in this passage, not least of which is slavery, and we'll come to that in a moment. But the young women are shown by the older women to be self-controlled. There's the word. It's the same thing for each group, and to be pure, to be busy at home, and to be kind. But with each of the groups, you'll see a common theme, and I'm going to bring it to the 21st century in a moment. The younger men, like all of them, are told simply to be self-controlled. 2 verse 6, seems like good advice to give the young men. Titus, then, is told to be a young man helping young men to be good men. By example, 2 verse 7, in everything, Titus set them an example, the young men, by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, soundness of speech that cannot be condemned. Slaves, then, are addressed in the first century and given the same advice. Now, remember, this is not the transatlantic slave world. That's the one that sort of we think about when we think about slavery. doesn't make the slavery right, but it's not the same thing. Slaves are told to try to please their masters, to not talk back to them, to not steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted. Now, don't get me wrong. The Gospel lays the groundwork for the abolition of slavery, but not, profoundly, in the New Testament via direct action of advocates, because the slaves are being addressed here. And that, by the way, is profound. The slaves are being addressed here, and they're told to not be obnoxious or to steal, to show that they can be trusted. In the end, the abolition of slavery comes via the gospel of freedom, but it comes via the goodness of the slave, not the arrogance of the slave. Do you see that? Each time, with all people, self control. That's the word that takes this advice to the 21st century self control. And each time, self-control is needed for higher than self-reason. This is not just, hey, look, I'm a disciplined person, but rather 2 verse 10, so that in every way, you and I will make the teaching about God, our Saviour, attractive. And all of this because of the grace of God appeared and schooled us towards self-control. So if I can put it this way, the subjugation of the flesh, what we want, to the spirit, what God wants, is the key. Finding out what God wants, not my own dreams, and doing it is the key. Be eager, be enthusiastic for this. Eagerness doesn't mean that you have to have changed the world, started your own business, grown a church, won a gold medal, won the Australian Open, been an influencer. If grace is given without regard to our human criteria of worth, even slaves can do it, then everyone gets the same word, eager to do what is good. that's what it looks like. So how do you get it? Grace is how you get it. Grace is the fuel. Grace is the motivator. Grace is the teacher. Grace teaches us, 2 verse 2. And if the gift is Jesus, then Jesus is the fuel. Jesus, the motivator. Jesus, the teacher. But it's not Jesus as mere teacher, although he is one, but rather as Jesus as redeemer, as purifier, as saviour, not merely as my guide or model. Look at the verse. While we wait for our God, great, great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Grace is the word for gift and the gift of Jesus Christ, and you can see it right there. He gave himself for us. And to do two things, remember to redeem and to purify. See that? To redeem, that's the story of the Exodus. To purify, that's the story of Leviticus. So this was the plan to the people of Israel long ago. And that plan, planned then, before creation, was fulfilled in the life of Jesus. Jesus redeems me. Jesus purifies me. To redeem is to pay a price to win someone back. Jesus paid it all. Luxury and gold. Powder to win back the broken cup, a price paid to free a slave, a lamb sacrificed for willful people to win them back, that's to redeem. To purify is a Jewish idea of cleaning up, sometimes through fire, like refining gold, cleaning up for a purpose, and it's related to holiness and sanctification. It's not a simple process, but it's a beautiful process. In the story of the exodus god redeemed his people gave them the land despite their hard hearts that's grace but the gift came with an obligation that they obey him fear him serve him we all we learned that last year grace must transform otherwise it is not grace john newton let us love and sing and wonder let us praise the savior's name he has hushed the laws loud thunder He has quenched Mount Sinai's flame. He has washed us with his blood. Theologian John Barclay argues the point that grace is a free gift, but it's not cheap. You are showered with his mercy, but for a purpose, to be his very own, eager to do what is good. That first reading, the Ezekiel reading, hit the nail on the head to the years of the Exodus, to the years of redemption, to a people meant to have been purified comes a word, you mucked up. You mucked up. You did. You mucked up my name. You dragged it through the mud, Ezekiel 36. With your mucked up hearts. You see how I'm using the word muck there? What do you do with muck? You clean it up. But the gift and the obligation are then expressed in this promise that is fulfilled in the life, death, resurrection, and the pouring out of the Spirit of Jesus. Jesus. God says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities, from all your idols. And I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone. That's the cynical one. That's the hard one. And I'll give you a heart of flesh. And I'll put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and carefully keep my laws, all so that God creates a people for himself, that he might dwell among them. So, Old and New Testaments, same message. I like this quote from John Barclay that we've been looking at through the series. One of the special contributions of the book of Romans is to show how this grammar of grace has governed the story of Israel from the very beginning. Is operative in it even now in Paul's present, when Romans was written, And can be relied upon to continue right through to its conclusion grace has brought me safe thus far and grace will lead me home so i'm hoping that you'll get what it took me years to understand in my 20s i thought of god's grace as a yes to do what i wanted and was upset if someone tried to get me to obey or i hated the word i used sort of word discipline and thought you know stop making me feel guilty i'd say because of grace but i was wrong Grace schools a no in me and a yes in me. By the way, I'm glad that God held me in his hand through that season because it could have gone the other way. Grace schools in me a no and a yes, a yes to be his very own, eager to do what is good. Listen to this, the words of this hymn. Thy mercy, my God, is the theme of my song, the joy of my heart and the boast of my tongue. Thy free grace alone From the first to the last hath won my affections and bound my soul fast if this is what it is and how you get it then how do you go deep into it because i take it i want to go deeper i don't want to go i understood today's message thank you justin i want 2022 to be a year of thirst of desire of directed intentional enthusiasm for the will of god might eager be your word for 2022. It should be noted that uh, 2 verses 14 is then explored in chapter 3 verses 3 to 8, which was read to us by Meredith a moment ago, where you get the words to save and to wash. It's the same ideas as in point 2, to redeem and to purify. I'll be very quick here, but here it is. Look, he says, When the kindness and love of our Saviour appeared, when grace appeared, that's 2 verse 11, He saved us, that's 2 verse 14, who redeemed us, not because of the righteous things we had done. That's what some of us need to hear, by the way. Any one of us who thinks, gee, I'm a good person, especially when I compare myself to others. He saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, that's there in Ezekiel, but because of His mercy, His grace. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. He gave me a new heart. So that, having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs through the hope of eternal life. But here's the thing. Paul does this by appealing to their testimony, their story. And so he says, and you might not resonate here, but I want to address that in a moment. He says, at one time, we too were foolish, We were disobedient. We were deceived, enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We did what we wanted to do. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But I straightened myself out. Yes? No. Thank you, Bruce. I made my bed. I got a haircut and got a real job. Yes? No. When the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. He did the work not because of the righteous things we had done but because of his mercy same as in ezekiel i get that three verse three might not resonate with you perhaps it might have had a stronger resonation with a person in the greco-roman world and maybe the gospel has gone to work and made people nicer i don't know but it is talking about sort of unrestrained behavior of doing what i want to do for example doing what i want to do sexually instead of what God wants for me to do, or giving in to being angry, or bitter, or judgmental, which is pretty common. That last line, being hated and hating one another, in my mind, describes Twitter, does it not? It's not about being nice. And Lewis made this point when he said, we must not suppose that if we succeeded in making everyone nice, we should have saved their souls a world of nice people, contented in their own niceness, looking no further, turned away from God, will be just as desperately in need of salvation as a miserable world. God is not looking for niceness. No, let's go deeper in 2022. I want you to access your testimony and rediscover the grace of God, the real grace which schools us and shapes us and forms us and transforms us. If you haven't already done so, pray for that new heart, that cynical one you have, the hard one you have, ask God to remove it and pray for a new one. That's what it is to become a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ, and then be part of the people who are his very own, eager to do what is good. And maybe when you take bread and wine in a few moments time, maybe for the first time, it'll be as a follower of Jesus Christ. Before you were nice, now you're saved. That's why you take the bread and the wine. This is a trustworthy saying, writes Paul to Titus, and I want you, Titus, to stress these things. And I'm doing so now, so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. Let's pray. Father, perhaps now in this moment we have heard the voice of Jesus, and maybe we've heard, come unto me and rest. We... Receive your grace and take joy in it. I came to Jesus as I was, weary, worn, and sad, and I found in him a resting place, and he has made me glad. Father, as we come to you and ask you to remove from us that heart of stone, the cynical one, we pray that even now, as we pray, that you give us a heart of flesh, that you make us Christ's, having won us by your grace, and then having won us, Father, transform us to be a people that are your very own, beloved of you, eager to do what is good. We want this in 2022. We want this grace to be at work in us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.